Good morning, good morning. Today is the first day of a new month, still 2023. Welcome to July. We made it. Yes. All right. So now that I'm student, starting a new episode, it will be a continuation of the efforts of the last two, three weeks, right? I've only been on LinkedIn, back on LinkedIn. So it's been a long while ride and I've made so many awesome friends. It's very exciting. There's some promises I made, so here we go. I will give it a try. I hope it be enough. Sometimes I'm scared that when I read something that's really personal, somebody who's alive and they're actually listening to it, it's kind of nerve-wracking since I haven't done it before. <laughs> okay, but as long as I give it my best try, it's okay, right? Okay. Are you having adversity in life? Wonderful. It means you've had the audacity to take a stand for something at some point in your journey. Let's face it, life is not all rainbows and sunshine. It is a messy landscape woven, I love that word, woven with challenges and conflicts. Yeah, I've been meditating on that last couple days. Quilt. And amidst this landscape, uh huh, your enemies emerge as a result of your willingness to push boundaries. Totally agree. Challenge norms, yeah, and assert your individuality. I'm trying. They arise when you dare to speak up, to advocate for what you believe in, yeah. I need some push. Thank you for motivating me. Even if it means going against the tide, right? The chosen, that's like his theme. Having enemies shouldn't be seen as a cause for dismay. Yeah. Or disencouraging. Yeah. On the contrary, it should be embraced. Yeah. Friend or foe, I'm going to hug you, Elmira, as a sign of your impact. When others vehemently oppose you, it means you struck a nerve. Their actions and words have resonated deeply, causing discomfort and stirring emotions within those who stand against you. They feel threatened because your mere presence challenges their worldview and forces them to confront their own beliefs. Yeah. Remember, Mm -hmm. It's not just about the conflicts themselves, but the principles and causes that lie at their core. When your adversaries step into the limelight, it's an opportunity for introspection. Taking a moment to reflect on the values you hold dear and Reaffirm your commitment to them. Mm -hmm. Let their opposition serve as a catalyst for personal growth and self-determination. It is a chance to solidify your beliefs. Mm -hmm. Like a diamond being crushed, but not broken. What's the word? To refine. Refine, I like that. See, I like your words so much better. To refine 
your arguments and to emerge even stronger in the face of adversity. There's a beautiful lion's face staring at me with these beautiful posts. That's what I love most about it. When encountering enemies may be unsettling, to say the least, they play a vital role in your journey. They do. Their presence challenges you to rise above fear, arise above doubt and uncertainty. Right? It's just uncertain action. It ignites a fire within you, mm-hmm. fueling your determination to prove them wrong and achieve what you set out to do. Mm-hmm. Adversaries become the driving force behind your pursuit of progress. Oh yeah, it's race. It's home. Pushing you to overcome obstacles. Persevere. Final perseverance. And achieve remarkable feats. Cherish, cherish. Cherish your enemies. Appreciate the fact that they validate your existence as a person. Right? Jeez, how? Who refuses to be a mere bystander in life? Yeah, I'm different. Embrace the opportunity to learn. Yes, embracing. Grow. <laughs> Growing together. And evolve during the clashes and conflicts that arise. Let their opposition be a catalyst for its self-discovery and an inspiration to continue standing for what you believe in. It is those who are unafraid to face adversities head on that leave an indelible mark in the world, a mark that inspires others to follow their own path, to stand up for what they believe and to make a difference. Now you know why I like it. Makes you want to get up and listen to the music and and go recruit another 500 people. (laughs) Okay. I think I know why I feel so connected. It's like Janeway needs Tuvok. Right? Everybody knows how much Janeway needs Tuvok. All right. Next one, we'll be right back. This one was entitled... Two days ago. Yeah, okay. (laughs) And it's the lion with a scar face with a beautiful sky behind it. So celestial. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm still staring at it. Okay, bye. The silent pandemic, the echoes of loss, masculinity, and the call to mentorship. Thank you, Aslan Allen, for leading a charge. 
This is dated June 28, 2023. In the depths of our society, a silent pandemic rages on, leaving in its wake a trail of broken hearts and scattered dreams. This insidious infliction is the absence of masculine figures in the lives of countless young men, a void that hovers like an oppressive cloud, casting shadows on their journey towards self-discovery. Behind the thick veil of this crisis lie in untold stories of resilience, depression, and the haunting, haunting repercussions that resonate far beyond the surface. Brace yourself. For we are about to embark on a visceral exploration of this gripping reality. First, imagine a young boy, his heart brimming with dreams and hopes. brimming with dreams and hopes, navigating the labyrinth of life with no guiding hand to illuminate the path. In the absence of strong, nurturing male role models, he wanders aimlessly, a ship without a captain, desperately seeking an anchor to stabilize his journey. The echoes of his silent yearning reverberate through the chambers of his soul, perpetually longing for the warmth of a father's love. The wisdom of an elder's counsel and the strength of a masculine embrace. The repercussions of growing up without these influences are manifold and profound. Without the cocoon of isolation, a fragile sense of self begins to wither. Starved of the validation and affirmation that only a father figure can bestow. The absence of such nurturing relationships gives birth to a gnawing hunger, a gnawing hunger for validation and belonging that propels young men and girls towards perilous paths of self-destruction. Lost in the labyrinth of uncertainty, they grope in the dark. Their souls are scarred with a sense of purposelessness. Vulnerability and a longing to fill the void they can scarcely articulate. As these young men traverse the turbulent waters of 
adolescence and emerging adulthood, they're focused. They're forced to navigate treacherous currents armed only with makeshift life rafts. This is what my husband went through. The tempestuous storms of emotions that we do. Their masculinity unmoored. Manifest in unhealthy ways. Can you blame Oliver Twisted? Oliver and Annie, I like that. Hold on, it lost my music. Pause, I'll be right back. You can cut this out later. I'm gonna do a soft background for the next one. The same brewing tradition since 1873. Because when you're a favorite beer of rock stars and cowboys, you don't compromise. That's our legacy. What do you they may succumb to the allure of gangs, substance abuse, or violent escapades, seeking solace in the false sense of belonging these destructive avenues offer. Without the compass of a strong male figure, they become rudderless ships, drifting further into the abyss of despair, their inner worlds teetering on the brink of collapse. Yet in the face of adversity, these young men are not merely victims of circumstance, no. They possess a profound resilience, a flame that flickers amidst the darkness, urging them to break free from the, train, the chains that bind them. Their journeys, though fraught with hardship, are punctuated with moments of defiant triumph. They defy the odds. Yes. Hi, baby. They defy the odds, clawing their way toward a brighter future. Piercing, piecing together fragments of strength and forging an identity from the depths of their struggle. But we as a society must not turn a blind eye to this quiet epidemic, for it is an epidemic, a quiet, silent killer people. We must listen to the silent cries, silent but deadly, that resonate within these young men reaching out with open arms and open hearts. By fostering spaces where positive masculine influences can thrive, we can begin to heal the wounds afflict, inflicted, inflicted by absence and neglect. With that being said, let us now dive into the realm of mentorship. Thank you. Within this silent pandemic lies a profound truth. Masculine men bear a responsibility to uplift and guide the young souls left adrift. It is a clarion call that resonates with the urgency of a beating heart, demanding that those who embody the essence of masculinity step forward as mentors, nourishing the physical, emotional, and spiritual growth of these young men earning, yearning for guidance. Ew, stop it! 
No! Don't do that. This. No, no, yum, yum. That's. Ugh. Say it. Thank you. Mentorship, yes. It is a clarion call that resonates with the urgency of a beating heart, demanding that those who embody the essence of masculinity step towards mentorship. Please, yes. Nourishing the physical, emotional, and spiritual growth of these young men yearning for guidance. To be a mentor is to embody all the facets of manhood, to embody, to forge a profound connection that offers solace, strength, and purpose. Physical mentorship forms the foundation of this journey as young men navigate the turbulent terrains terrain of their bodies they thirst for the wisdom of those who have threaded the path before them the mentor must impart not only the knowledge of physical health and well-being but also foster discipline resilience and the pursuit of excellence he must stand as a living testament to the power of okay i'll be back i can't
Later that same year, this is why I really like that movie, The Shack. If anybody has not seen The Shack, you should definitely see The Shack. It's the guy from Avatar. Gotta see The Shack. All right. Physical mentorship forms a foundation. Yes. He must stand as a living testament to the power of discipline. Yes. Demonstrating the transformative effects of self-care. Yes. Fitness. Absolutely. And respect for the vessel that carries one's spirit. Temple through shared activities, whether it be sports, martial arts, or physical challenges, the mentor instills in his protege a sense of embodiment and strength. Embodiment? Yeah, yeah, I like that word. Empowering him to harness his physicality as a tool, as a tool for personal growth. Beautiful. Emotional Mentorship serves as a lighthouse amidst the storm of swirling emotions. Yeah, lighthouse. I can't, right? Okay. In a world that often discourages vulnerability, the mentor must create a space where young men can freely express their fears doubts, and insecurities. He becomes a pillar of compassion, listening without judgment, right, for the moment, that's what they need, and offering guidance that embraces emotional intelligence. It ain't about you, it's about them. The mentor imparts the art of introspection. You teach, teaching them the tool encouraging the exploration of one's emotional landscape. It's a scary place. And teaching healthy ways to manage and communicate feelings. Yeah. Through patience, empathy, which can only come by experience, and the sharing of personal experiences. Oh, there you go. He helps the young men develop emotional resilience nurturing the seed of empathy that sprouts compassion and understanding. Yeah, balance. Beyond the physical and emotional realms, the mentor must also tend to the spiritual growth of these young men. Number three, spiritual mentorship does not necessarily denote adherence to a specific religion, but rather, right, you gotta start somewhere rather encompasses the cultivation of a deep sense of purpose, right? Firstly, got it, lovely. And connection to something greater than oneself. Amada. The mentor helps the young men unearth their values innate, guiding them to explore questions of meaning, morality, 
deep thoughts and the impact they wish to make on the world. Chew on it. Through introspective practices such as meditation, reflection, or engaging with nature, the mentor nurtures their spirituality, encouraging a sense of reverence for life and a commitment to a higher purpose. To be a mentor encompassing all facets of manhood is to recognize that the role extends far beyond the confines of mere guidance. It is a sacred duty, sacred duty to uplift, inspire, and shape the lives of young men, molding them into compassionate, resilient, and purpose-driven individuals. The mentor must lead by example, embodying the values he seeks to impart, living it, living a life that resonates with integrity, honor, and authenticity. However, the responsibility of mentorship does not rest solely on the shoulders of masculine men. It is a collective duty. A shared commitment of communities, institutions, and society as a whole. It's already there, might as well use it. It is a call for schools, organizations, and families to create environments that foster mentorship. One person can't do it all. Providing spaces for intergenerational connections to flourish. Mentorship programs, workshops, and commit community initiatives must be established, allowing the interplay between the wisdom of experience and the malleability of youth, right? Ma- I love that word, malleability. Yeah. Let me hammer you down a little. It's like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're malleable. They're resilient. You just got to hug them, love them, and reaffirm that you're not mad at them, and he's all good again. Stop. Can you just go outside? Last paragraph. Thank you for hanging in here. The silent pandemic of most masculinity. No, just wait for it. If somebody wants to edit this, please do. Thank you. The silent pandemic of lost masculinity. Yes, lost echoes through the lives of young men, but it is within our power to rewrite their narratives by embracing the mantle of mentorship. The mantle of mentorship. Embrace it. We can reshape their destinies, bridging the chasm of absence with what? Love guidance and understanding let us unite in this noble pursuit offering the gift of masculinity's multifaceted richness empowering these young men to embrace 
their own unique journeys and unleashing the full potential that lies dormant within their souls. Yeah, I feel so much better now. No, no, seriously, I do. We are living the unforgiving reality. June 20, 2023. Prepare to delve into the dark underbelly of the modern male existence where anxiety, stress, and depression are rampant. Ay, ay, ay. Festering wounds. Ah, tell me about it. <clears throat> In an era awash with technicality, technicalities, te- technological, technological marvels, and material access. Men find themselves ensnared, there's a word for you, in an emotional abyss. Yeah. I'm raising all hands for the ladies too. Brace yourself. Brace yourself. As we unearth the harrowing truths behind the suffocating plight. Where the absence of primal connection, exhilarating exploration, gnawing challenges, Nourishing nutrition. Yeah, nutrition that actually nourishes. That's what I need. Meaningful discourse. Yeah. I second that. Lack of goals. I third that. And physical connection. I fourth that. (laughs) To nature. I fifth that. Have forged the perfect storm. Yeah! Let's get after it, people! Apathy. What's apathy in a hyper-connected world? In this hyper-connected society, which resonates with me because I'm super hyper all the time, we have unknowingly severed, uh uh-huh, John 15, 5, the very lifelines that sustain us. Yeah. Men, uh uh-huh, driven by an innate yearning for authentic bonds and tribal connection. Tell me about it. Now find themselves shackled to virtual facades and empty interactions. Mm-hmm. The void left, right? The void people, Genesis one, one, two, left by genuine emotional support and understanding propels them into an abyss of isolation. Deborah Frazier Chamber, I'd rather be alone. No, seriously, introvert, uh, just by sheer knowing. Anyways, where their inner demons run rampant, dancing with the devil, tearing at their souls. Yeah. It ain't a tango that you want to be entangled in. To conquer 
the desolation of insulation. Men must kindle the primal flame of genuine connection. Seek out communities that resonate with their values and interests, fostering bonds rooted in authenticity. Embrace vulnerability, open your heart, and surround yourself with individuals who truly understand and support your journey. I'm here, we're here, we're here. Where are you, right here. Still there, yeah. Just reach your hand out, okay, great. In the nurturing of these connections, you will find solace and strength breaking free from the suffocating grip of loneliness. Just reach out for my hand. Bruce, Jack. You on a mountain. I want to breathe with you in the sea. I want to lay like this forever until the plus one the yearning for the wild unknown we're in the mountains somewhere out there within the depths of every in a virgin forest i hope of every man lies an insatiable hunger for adventure i'm right here an irrepressible thirst for conquer uncharted realms yeah i love uncharted but the modern world saturated with mundane routines ssdd and predictable patterns ugh, suffocates these primal desires. The absence of audacious, yay, audacious exploration shackles men to mediocrity. You gotta jump the fence one of these days and go into the stadium, even though it's the middle of the night, and just sit in the top of the stadium, highest nosebleed seats, and just stare at the sky. And you're so high that nothing obstructs your view and you see the whole horizon like 360. Self-discovery. The absence of audacious exploration shackles men to mediocrity, leaving them bereft. That's a cool word. Reminds me of a beret. Bereft of personal growth, self-discovery, and the intoxicating rush of triumph over daunting challenges. Right? I want a gauntlet. As the flame of adventure flickers, that's an app. Restlessness, that's a movie. Disillusionment, get off your phone. And an existential void seep into their very beings. Yeah, SpongeBob. Unleash, unleash the dormant adventurer. 
Go watch Up to Get Motivated. It's a cartoon. Rated G for Up. Unleash the dormant adventurer within and break free from the chains of routine. Seek out new experiences. Challenge your limits and embrace. Oh, phone calls. I'll be right back. Sorry for the constant interruption. Great, now I gotta find my place all over again. Yeah, you can just edit all that part out. Great. Oh, here it is. I love Native. I've been using Native for years now, and I use them every day. I sorry, sorry, sorry. Skip, skip, I... skip. Okay. Ooh, the jets. I like this one. Unleash the dormant adventurer within and break free from the chains of routine. Seek out, oh, this sounds like Star Trek, to seek out new experiences. Do something you've never done before. Do it really badly at first. That's what Alex always says. Go in and make the biggest mistakes first. And just fail really bad without hurting yourself too much, hopefully, is what I say. Gotta count my bruises every night. And embrace, challenge your limits, and embrace the unknown with relentless vigor. Engage in activities that ignite your passion. Be it hiking, oh yeah, rock climbing, oh yeah, or exploring unexplored territories, oh yeah. Torch in the face of adversity, muhaha. Discover the euphoria of personal growth and self-discovery. Embrace each challenge as an opportunity to unleash your true potential. I mean, how often do you get to pee yourself on yourself after you get stinged by a jellyfish? and survive and tell the tale and not be scarred and become the architect of our destiny. Yeah. You know, you're a temple and you need an architect for the temple. Oh, yeah. Bodies, bodies, bodies dropping. No, bodies starved. Yeah, okay. Of nature and exercise. Preach, I need my nature. Nature, the primordial healer, yes, has become an elusive refuge for men and women entrapped within concrete jungles. Yeah. Stucco. In my case. The lack of communication to the natural world. It's killing me. A cruel deprivation. Chamber. Drains. And the drains the vitality and vigor from our weary souls. I just remember when I first the post that first got my attention, I just remember. It was the hammock. It was a hammock, wasn't it? It was the hammock. It was the hammock. I'm right back there on the hammock. Denied the rejuvenating touch of earth. Oh, and the stream beneath your feet and the invigorating embrace of the wild. Yes, I'm in that thing of heather over there. So they are left withered, disconnected, from the life force that once coursed through their veins. <laughs> the absence of physical exertion, running through the wild bushes, <gasps> with the sun in your face, <gasps> and it's just, why do you cry now? Weakens their bodies. My muscles are starving. Denying them the endorphin-laden ecstasy. That only, right, we can't even say that word. I can say raving, but I can't say ecstasy. Ecstasy. Ecstasy 
that only sweat-soaked toil can bring. You gotta smell like it. Escape the confines of urban captivity and embrace the untamed wilderness. Reconnect with the healing power of nature. Oh, I feel better already. Reconnect, reconnecting. Immersing yourself like a rechargeable battery in its beauty and serenity, right? Serenity, define it. Uh, uh, no, uh, knowing what I can and cannot change and accepting uh, what I, what, something like that. I'm so serene, I don't really care right now. Engage in regular physical exercise. You chase me, I chase you. Honoring your body as the vessel of resilience. Run, lift, hike, or lifeguards. Or engage in any activity that stirs your soul. Just do something. Start off somewhere. Let the endorphins flow like a lazy river. No. Regina, you've... <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. Just wait for the next song. Okay. That's Jet. That was the Jets. Make it real. Yeah. Finally, hopefully, maybe. Ooh, Candy Crush. The lady kept playing Candy Crush because um, she was so in pain because, I don't know, just remembering all the people I treated for their illnesses. And sometimes I just, I haven't got confirmation whether it really helps sometimes. And I worry about the worst cases. I pray for them still. Let the endorphins flow, reinvigorating your spirit and forging an unbreakable bond between mind, body, and the natural world. Junk foods, sinister grasp. Yeah. In the hallowed halls of modern society, men fall prey to the insidious temptations of junk food and processed diets. These insatiable vices, devoid of nourishment and vitality, Betray their minds and bodies. Depleted of essential nutrients, their brains falter. anxiety and depression such oh boy here musical break I'll be there for you if you should need me you don't have to change a thing I love you just the way you are so come with me and share the view I'll help you see forever
ball. <laughs> it just comes out. All right. Anyways. Such nutritional voids, sustenance leaves men adrift and in a fog of despair, robbed of the clarity and resilience needed to face life's ferocious trials. Moonlighting. I've always liked him in Moonlighting. That's why I like Bruce Willis. Moonlighting. Yeah, I like her too, but I can't remember her name. Break free from the shackles of processed and junk food. Nurture your body with whole, organic, nutritious foods. The original. That fuel your vitality and mental clarity. Explore the realm of nutritious options. Incorporating fresh fruits, not canned fruits, fresh vegetables. I gotta, I gotta show you guys those pictures where they show you the vitality of the energy coming out of the thing. It's called Kirian photography. Lean proteins, or if you want the fat, then wait till you don't have any. And the whole grains into your diet. Yeah, start with detox. Cultivate the discipline to make conscious choices, empowering yourself with the knowledge that every bite is an investment into your well-being. I like that. Very good. That wasn't me. I like the way you put that. One me. One you. One me. Conversations that ring hollow. Hollow. Not hollow. Hollow. Hello. Hello. connections and superficial exchanges, meaningful conversations are casualties 
in a war against hu true human connection. True human connection. Men find themselves mired in a whirlpool of shallow banter, void of vulnerability and genuine understanding, stripped of the sacred spaces to reveal their deepest fears. Caveman, right? Caveman. Man, what they call that? Man caves? Man caves, I think. Aspirations and insecurities. Men bear the weight of their emotions in solitude. Give him the space he needs. This profound insulation breeds an unrelenting loneliness. Yeah. A relentless emotional burden that gnaws at their very souls. Yeah. It's called male PMS. That's what he calls it. Plunge into the depths of vulnerability and authenticity, forging conversations that resonate the truth. Seek out spaces where profound discord thrives, where the exchange of ideas, emotions uplift and heal. E-A-L. Engage in active listening. Allowing others to bear their souls as you do the same. Through these meaningful conversations, you will discover the transformative power of shared experiences and empathetic understanding. No, no matter what. Next section, Lost in the Wilderness. Oh, dance break. Move it. You don't even have to leave your chair. You just shake your tushy while you're in your chair. Try it. Don't focus on any other muscle but your tushy muscle. Left, right, tushy. You, you got it, right? You just squeeze the tushy. <laughs> One muscle at a time. Focus. You need help with the menu. Download the Google Skip. Just tap the camera icon. Can we just... Okay, here it goes. Lost in the wilderness of purposelessness. No purpose. The absence of clear goals and purpose thrusts men into an existential abyss where anxiety lurks and despair breeds. Just to be with you, would you ever? That's the, that's the first question they always want to know. Let you down. Just to clue you in, girls feel the same. Love you just a single night, would you ever let me down? Who wants to be let down? Duh. 
life without direction they become hapless wanderers in an unforgiving desert but hey i felt it i think we can turn definitely turn this into a song real good right here i gotta hook up with my mom my man over there with that funny 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 karaoke oh my gosh what was this channel we gotta hook up the void of meaningful pursuits denies them the opportunity to channel their passions talents and energies into a worthy cause Without purpose as their guiding star, they succumb to the tempestuous currents of uncertainty, their inner flames flickering towards extinction. You want to talk about extinction? Z. Illuminate the path ahead by unearthing your true purpose. Engage in soul searching, introspection, and reflection. There it is. Reflection, do you want it? To uncover the passions and values that define you. Mentally, do you want it? Sheesh. Set clear goals that align with your purpose, breaking them down into actionable steps. Termite mode. Cultivate discipline. Cultivate discipline. Cultivate what? Discipline. Again, again, again. Right? The higher the number, the better. Resilience. An unwavering focus as you execute your goals. Yeah, execution. Embrace the journey. Knowing that each step, each person I hug, grip hugs, brings you closer to a life of fulfillment and meaning. And in conclusion... You don't know me, but I knew your father. He wanted me to give you this.
In conclusion, the anguish that grips men in our modern society stems from a tumultuous convergence of factors. The rupture of primal connection, the yearning for audacious exploration, the denial of physical challenges and nature's embrace, the entrapment of a vicious cycle of junk food and processed diets, the shallowness of conversations, and the absence of meaningful goals and purpose intertwined to suffocate the male spirit. That's the sad part. Confronting these crises necessitates a seismic shift, paradigm shift of your collective consciousness. Collective, Borg. I don't not that kind, but right, the good kind. The good just keep saying to you, the good kind. We must rekindle genuine human connection, genius. Reforge our bond through the untamed wilderness. <gasps> We're gonna go into forest adventure. Embrace challenges as transformative catalysts. I can finally be a ballerina in the forest again. Nourish our bodies with wholesome sustenance. Ignite profound conversations that pierce the soul. Hey, what's up, Andrew? And guide men towards purpose and execution. Say darkness. Only by facing this truth with unyielding resolve. Can we unleash men from the clutches of anxiety, stress, and depression? Let us carve a new path, a path of profound transformation and liberation. Liberation! Where men rediscover their indomitable spirits. Spirits! Come on, music. Embodying, embody, oh, low, low battery embodied, emboldened, uh, right, uh, fonts, emboldened to conquer the trails that lie ahead, lie ahead, lie ahead, and forge machete, a future, that's not a knife, where their souls soar free, like an eagle. Okay, well, the music's given out. We'll be right back with Flawed fitness beliefs. I love hanging with the lion. His name is Aslan. Yeah, think I could pass that up? Of course not. Go check him out. <clears throat> okay, I'm just going to interject this interesting post from another LinkedIn awesomeness. Uh, I forgot what his name's was. Mr. Wysom Syad. I hope I said that right. Okay, great. If not, DM me and just yell at me. Great, thanks. <laughs> um, but, okay, there's a snake on it, and it's about to bite me, so I'm going to read it. Are toxic people aware of their toxicity? It was a poll, but I don't know how to answer it, so I'm going to read his poll. I'm going to read his article. Male venomous black bush viper snake is staring at me. A theorist. All right. There is a simple explanation for the recent rise of research into dark personality traits and toxic work behaviors. Do I have to play the song? You should. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Let's just read it real quick. 
namely the fact that they are frequently exposed to colleagues and bosses who have detrimental effects on their performance, productivity, and well-being. But what if we are just like them, right? In other words, what if we impact other people as negatively as those who regard, how we regard as, quote, toxic impacts us, right? Okay, one finger to you, four finger to myself. This begs an obvious yet rarely examined question, whether toxic people are generally aware or unaware of their toxicity. Yeah, what do you guys think? How do we fix the problem? Yeah, how do we fix the problem? I always like to get the solution as quick as I can. Or if you prefer, it could be that people have toxic effects on others, mostly because they don't realize that they're toxic. Yeah, I agree. Because if they knew, they would just be doing it on purpose, and that would be even worse. So anyway, I guess that is the pinnacle question right there. In a way, this would provide some moral justification, right? As well as, that's what C.S. Lewis says. He said, the moment you make an excuse, you already know it's wrong. You already know it's wrong. (laughs) A real psycho killer is, they have no morality. Like, they would not be ever sorry, ever. Because to them, it's not wrong as well as much hope for fixing the problem. Let's hope. One would assume that if lack of awareness is the issue, then we may just sit down with toxic workers and managers to provide them with much needed reality check. Here, pay up. Which would hopefully result in guilt, hopefully results in guilt, restraint, and long-term behavioral changes, hopefully. That is, all we would need to do is to make them aware of their undesirable habits so they can fix them and transition from toxic to non-toxic and perhaps even... <gasps> That's the word of the day! What's up? So janky! Rewarding to deal with. Oh yeah, I will reward you spanking. How? Hello? Alas, <laughs> things are not so simple. In fact, an examination of economic, an examination of academic research into counterproductive and toxic personalities indicates, yeah, what? That while self-awareness may be lacking, it is far from enough to explain the toxicity of such personalities. You can't just explain it away. Consider, uh-huh. Like a Sue moment on Glee. Love that. Consider that. Even narcissistic individuals, which I never understood that word, but go ahead, who specialize in delusions of grandeur and reality distortion, get it, are generally aware of their narcissism. They like it. For what reason? I don't know. Why do homeless people like being homeless? So, the main problem with narcissists who have a delusion of grandeur, are you thinking pridefully? and a reality distortion. Do not see what other people are seeing. Do not see what I'm trying to say. Are generally aware of their narcissism. Yeah, they just don't care. Okay, is that what that means? So the main problem with narcissists is down not so much to their lack of metacognition or knowledge of their own narcissism, but because they in fact already know it. The fact is that they don't care about it, yep. And they're not motivated and are even proud of it. That's the definition. There you go. I'm proud of not giving shit. Got it. I don't give a fuck and I don't care. Yeah, that's where I'm at. 
This makes a mockery of interventions designed to provide narcissistic leaders with feedback on their arrogance, entitlement, and megalomania. I'm not arrogant. I don't feel entitled. And I don't have megalomania. It's actually the complete opposite, and I am crying in my corner. Yes? No? Care to comment? And explains why interventions to challenge narcissists' egos and provide them with a much-needed reality check whereby they understand that they are not as good as they think will often backfire. Yeah. Along the same lines, one would suspect that if any of the billionaires who are trying to out-macho their fellow billionaires by rocketing to space watched this video. Click here. Ooh. Later. They may become quite angry and defensive. Yeah, don't let them watch that one. By the same token, mm-hmm. psychopathic individuals who are generously, generally callous, cruel, and destructive in that they enjoy breaking rules and having parasitic, par- parasitic effects on groups. We don't like parasitic, right? Systems and organizations, including societies at large, appear to be largely aware of their psychopathic tendencies. For instance, in some our own studies, we're able to show that even when psychopaths are unable to feel pain or suffering, when they see other people feel pain and suffering, they are aware of it and are able to label others' emotions accurately. In short, takes one to know one. Just like narcissistic people, psychopathic people are not antisocial and toxic because they are unaware of their psychopathic tendencies, but rather because they don't care about them enough to control them. You think it's a control matter? Well, and in many circumstances, they actually enjoy their own toxicity. Are you sure about this? I don't know. I don't think I'm going to continue reading this. Let me get to the end. It was a happy ending. I'll keep reading because... I don't know if I completely agree with all this. To conclude, great. While self-awareness is a really valuable competency in the world of employee and leadership development, no coaching can be expected to pay off unless clients or coaches are aware of their own toxicity and problem behaviors. We cannot really blame interpersonal problems on people's lack of awareness or justify toxic individuals by assuming that they are somehow unaware of their problematic tendencies. Sure, we can always hope to find ways to incentivize people to behave better, especially if they already know that their behaviors are counterproductive, yada yada, but such incentives will work only if they outweigh the many rewards individuals get from behaving in their preferred toxic ways. All personal development requires ways to go against your natural personality, which in essence means becoming a less exaggerated version of yourself. Okay, what? All personal development uh-huh, requires finding ways uh-huh, to go against your natural personality. Got it. Fight the lizard the, or the worm, which in essence means becoming a less exaggerated version of yourself. Don't be a drama queen. <laughs> in order to even want to attempt this, we need to come to the realization. Realize something that real, that make it real. 
that we are not not the person person we could be or should be yeah we can be better people which very few people are interested in doing especially after a certain age get it who wrote this tomas Sermoro? primuzzi maybe i'll follow him i will follow you and i will write the psychology of leadership tech and strategy from Forbes. What's up, Viper? Male venomous black bush Viper. Snake. There's only one of it. Kitty. Yeah. All right. The theme of the day is reminding me this historical figure, and you will remember him by his famous song. I like to sing it every day. It makes me feel better right after Ave Maria. Sing grace, how sweet the song. Sweetness only came from after being crushed. The story of John Newton is very amazingly tragic indeed and amazingly amazing. You will see. That saved a wretch like me. He was a wretch because he was a slave trader. What? Yes. And he knew it and he knew it was wrong and he kept doing it. I once was lost. Lost at sea. He was a captain of the boat. He went up in the maritime chain, and he became. He was. He was. He was drafted. He didn't want to go. But now I'm found. Only thing that kept him going was the girl who was willing to pray for him, kept waiting for him to come home so she could marry him. His grace that leads me home. Let's read. When John Newton discovered Amazing Grace and wrote the hymn, September 02, 2022, by Diane Severance, payment, PhD, got it. John Newton lived from 1725, mercy, to 1807. That's a good forgiveness number. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Newton was lost at sea. The greyhound thrashed about in the north. Atlantic storms for over a week. Its canvas sails were ripped and the wood on one side of the ship had been torn away and splintered. The sailors had little hope of survival, but they mechanically worked the pumps, trying to keep the vessel afloat. Titanic! Lucia Kenya, on the 11th day of the storm, sailor John Newton was too exhausted to pump, so he tied to the helm mama? and tried to hold the ship to its course. Oh, thank you. I'll take half. Okay. Oh, rip it, rip it. Thank you. From one o'clock until midnight, he was at the helm. That's a long time. 
With the storm raging fiercely, Newton had time to think. His life seemed as ruined and wrecked as the battered ship he was trying to steer through the storm. Since the age of 11, he had lived a life at sea. Sailors were not noted for the refinement of their manners, but Newton had a reputation for profanity, (laughs) coarseness, and debauchery, which even shocked many sailors. What is this? Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean? Don't you love Johnny Depp? I do. Right? I wouldn't, but I want to be that girl he keeps rescuing. (laughs) Feisty. John Newton was known as the, quote, great blasphemer, unquote. He sank so low at one point that he was even a servant to slaves in Africa for a brief period. His mother had prayed he would become a minister and had earlier taught him the scriptures and Isaac Watts' divine songs. So not only was he a non-believer, he was an unbeliever too. Some of those earlier childhood teachings came to mind now. He remembered Proverbs chapter 1, 24, 31. And to the midst, and in the midst of that storm, those verses seemed to confirm Newton in his despair. Because I called and ye refused, ye have set at naught all my counsel, and would none of my reprove. I also laughed at your calamity. These are words of a father to his a stray son. I will mock when your fear cometh, when your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction come as whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. John Newton had rejected his mother's teachings and had led other sailors into unbelief. Certainly, he was beyond hope and beyond saving. Even if the scriptures were true, yet Newton's thoughts began to turn to Christ. He found a New Testament and began to read Luke eleven thirteen, seemed to reassure him that God might still hear him, quote, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? There it is. Deliverance. Salvation of John Newton. The day at that helm, March 21, 1748, was a day Newton remembered ever after. Quote, on that day, the Lord sent from on high and delivered me out of the deep waters. Many years later, as an old man, Newton wrote in his diary of March 21, 1805, not well able to write, but I endeavor to observe the return of this day with humiliation, prayer, and praise. Only God's amazing grace could and would 
take a rude, profane, slave-trading sailor and transform him into a child of God. Newton never ceased to stand in awe of God's work in his life. New Directions. Let's take a quick, short music break to return to innocence. La, 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 la. Right? You'd rather listen to it than me, I'm sure. So I can take a food break. Snack break. If I've always gone outside, you gotta belt that part, you know? You can't you can't sit and crouch. I can't I'm gonna let the do it move for me. Thank you. John Newton's conversion. Though John, although Newton continued in his profession of sailing and slave trading for a time, his life was transformed. He began a disciplined 
Bible study, prayer, and Christian reading schedule, and try to be a Christian example to the sailors under his command. Philip Dodge Ridges, the rise and pro- progress of religion. Ooh, bookmark that by Philip Dodd with D O D D. He's got ridges, R I D G E A S S, entitled "The Rise and Progress of Religion in the Soul." The rise and progress of religion in the soul. The rise and progress of religion in the soul. R P R S. Rise of re- rise of progress of religion in the soul. Got it. Provided much spiritual comfort. That's what I needed. I needed the title of his book. And a fellow Christian captain who met him. He met him off the coast of Africa. Guided Newton further into his Christian faith. Newton left slave trading and took the job of tide surveyor at Liverpool. But he began to think that he had been called to the ministry. His mother's prayers for her son were answered, and in 1764, at the age of 39, right, 39, he did all that, and he's still just 39. John Newton began forty-three years of preaching the gospel of Christ. Oh boy, John and his beloved wife Mary—they got married at the end. Yeah, at the end of his life, John would write that their love quote equaled all that the writers of romance have imagined. Moved to the little market town of Olney. <gasps> That's Maryland, right? He spent his mornings in Bible study and his afternoons visiting his parishioners. There were regular Sunday morning and afternoon services, and meetings for children and young people. There was also a Tuesday evening prayer meeting, which was always well attended. Yes, Tuesdays and Thursdays are important. I'll tell you why later. Taco Tuesdays. What's Thursdays? We'll see. Something comforting for sure. Birthday cake, maybe. The world's most famous hymn. Because. Because what? Because. Because. I'm skipping. Sadness. Should we play sadness? Let's see. Sadness. Amazing grace. How sweet. The sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. 
our interest? The letters of Alcuin and how it's related to St. Benedict, one of our favorite saints. By Ralph, Rolf, sorry with an O, R-O-L-P-H, Rolf, Barlow, B-A-R-L-O-W, Page, P-A-G-E, comma, A dot M dot, comma. Sometime fellow in European history in Columbia University, New York City, submitted impartial fulfillment of the requirements for the degree of Doctor of Philosophy in the Faculty of Political Science, Columbia University. New York, 1909. Copyright 1909 by R. B. Page. The Forest Pressed. <laughs> New York. To my wife. Oh, it's not sweet. 191004. <gasps> to my wife. And that's it. Simple and sweet. Here's his preface by R.B.P. Take the life of Alcuin has been the life of Alcuin has been written many times. And the Caroling Ian age. Seriously? Caroling Ian. Ian, C-A-R-O-L-I-N-G, I-A-N, age, C-A, 
<laughs> in which he played no mean part, has often been fully treated. The present work is concerned with neither of these primarily. Both, yet both, will necessarily be discussed in some measure in connection with its main purpose, which is to determine how far Aquin's life and works mirror forth his age, and to what extent they influence the events of that time. The author wishes to thank his colleagues in the New York High School of Com Commerce, Messieurs Carleton, Louise, and Wharton, for the valuable assistance they have given him in the final preparation of the manuscript to Professor James T. Shotwell. Yes, he did. Yes, sir. At whose instance the author entered Columbia University. See you later. He is especially indebted for many kindnesses and for many helpful suggestions in the writing and revising of this work. His sincerest thanks are due to Professor James Harvey Robinson. Robinson Crusoe, at whose suggestion this work was undertaken and without whose encouragement it would never have been completed. Thank you so much by RBP, BBJ, New York City, April 1909. It's stamped Ooh, has a University of California stamp shout out, Kelly, with my new Jasmine. I hope she's okay. She's flying today. Pray for her and her daddy and her mommy and her whole family and roses. She loves roses and sunrises and sunsets. Hello. Contents. Introduction. I love it. He keeps them real short. Oh my gosh. Each paragraph is a chapter. I love you, whoever you are. The value of Aquin's letters as source says, for the age of Charles the Great. Charles the Great? Nice. Aquin's early life and career in England. Ah, his birth and education at York. <gasps> Yorkshire! His teaching at York. Nice. His pilgrimage to Rome. Roman round. Meeting with Charles the Great and invitation to Franklin. Frankland? Uh-huh. Master of the Palace School. <gasps> We've arrived, people. Alcuin returns to England to make peace between Charles the Great and Offa. Yeah, he was kind of Offa. King of Mercia. He should have been merciful. Peacemaker. Very nice. Then his return to Frankland. What's up, Ben? Opposition to adoptismism. Op adoptionism. Ooh, you want to be adopted? Katrina? Anybody? Anybody? Your picture! Marathon's triathlons, Aaron's. His return to Franklin, and then opposition to op, dot, adoptionism and yeah, adoption, M image worship. Oh boy, Abbot of Tours. That's a place. He was beyond. He, oh, he became an abbot of Tours. Got it. Not the touring company. The place called Tours. Got it. His quarrel. I guess everybody wanted to go there. That's why they coined the word Tours. Maybe. Maybe. His quarrel with Theodolf of Orleans and King Charles, his restoration to favor and peaceful death. Well, that's a happy ending. Happy death. Chapter one, Alcuin's theological role. Roll it with a capital cap. The general nature of Alcuin's theology, his attitude towards the church fathers, 
Oh, I see. This is a summary of each chapter. So nice. It's only three chapters? So nice. Keep going. Chapter one, his theological role. Chapter two, the social and political conditions. Chapter three, Alcuin as a teacher. Get it. So first, what's his theological role? Roll it. The general nature of Alcuin's theology. His attitude towards the church fathers. His struggle against the adoptionists. Dogmatic works against the latter. Nature and origin of adoptionism. Course of the struggle, its significance. Other dramatic works, other dogmatic, woof woof, other dog, no, other dogmatic works. We'll find out what that means. Part played by Alcuin in the controversies over this one word, filioque, about the sun. Okay, filioque, the image worship. Exegical works of Alcuin, so he exegesis it. His their nature and purpose, right? Okay, the commentaries, how they commented. His method of interpretation, influence. And importance. Want to go out? Get ready. I'll take you out. I'll just watch you run on the treadmill. The influence and importance of his exegetical, exegetical works, moral and biographical works, their lack of originality, and in conclusion. Okay. So he's not the first one to talk about it. Eh. Chapter two, social and political conditions. The papacy was portrayed by Alcuin, its difficulties, its weaknesses, relations with the Frankish power, the Frankish church, and Charles the Great, his ecclesiastical policy and reforms. Alcuin's influence upon these, you know, the empire. Alcuin's concept of it, Social conditions in Franklin in Alcuin's day. The clergy, princes, and common people. Social conditions in England. Internal strife, devastations by the Northmen. Remedial measures. Yeah. In conclusion, Chapter Three: Alcuin as a teacher. General condition of learning in the seventh and eighth century, the educational aims of Alcuin and Charles, lack of schools, teachers, and books. Ah, a medieval library. The schools of Charles the Great. Alcuin and the palace school. The subjects taught. The seven liberal arts. Alcuin's educational works. Alcuin's attitude toward the classics, his literary style, methods and discipline, results and conclusions. Very nice. The end. Very nice. The introduction is very long. Very long. Just keep scrolling. Very long. Keep scrolling. Chapter like seven, ten pages. We'll skip it. Yeah, just skip it. Chapter one. Well, we'll just break it right here. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening.
our latest news, today we are reporting on the travels of St. Benedict and the Paul. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, St. Joseph Benedict Cotolongo says, quote, Trust in Providence, reporting live at the gym, May 1st, 2023. We've had a la 14402 eyeballs. Isn't that an interesting number? Eyeballs. 14402. Quote from Matthew 2611. You will always have Paul among you. St. Joseph Cotolengo eagerly embraced this precious heritage left by Jesus to his church and dedicated his entire existence to them. The church celebrates his memory on April 30th from the newsroom, January 05, 2023. Gaudu Impress. Holiness does not come from pure human effort, but from a singular grace granted by God. Jesus, the God-man, being the creator and, at the same time, the scribe of all graces, can and wills to dispense them to all who need and desire them. Heroism in the practice of virtues. As sanctity can be defined, is therefore a grace that shares in that wonderful fullness which dwells in our Lord and is liberally bestowed by him. One of those privileged ones to receive such graces was Joseph Benedict Cotolengo, C-O-T-T-O, like a cottage, Cotolengo. Ah, right, that beautiful picture of the cottage. Raised up, but I'll read that next. Raised up by God at the juncture of 18 and 19th centuries. Attracted by Jesus' compassion for the little ones without ceasing to see God in his, in his totality, God's totality. Every saint lays special emphasis on the contemplation of some aspect by which he is particularly captivated and invited to be reflected. One skill at a time, one virtue at a time, one percent at a time. In concrete terms, Joseph Cotolengo was attracted by the goodness and compassion of Jesus through the little ones, the poor and the sick. He understood in depth the riches of the love of the heart of God, of a God, for those whom he called the least of my brethren. Yeah, least. Matthew 25, 40. On the cross and through his blood, the Savior made all humanity his children and the children of Mary. By this double gift, he became himself our true brother. Upon a union which... What a union, what a bond of affection there is between children born of the same family. And yet, these blood ties are but pale images of the unsurpassable brotherly love that Jesus 
has for all of us. St. Joseph Benedict Cotolango penetrated this mystery and sought to manifest it in his life, dedicating himself with total disinterest to those who were both naturally and supernaturally orphaned, relieving not only bodily pain, but also sickness of soul. First steps in his vocation. Joseph Benedict Catalango was born in Bra, B-R-A, seriously, yes, B-R-A, Bra, Piedmont, P-I-E, you want some pie? Putang pie, Piedmont, 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 with pie. Joseph Benedict Catalango was born in Bra, Piedmont, in May 1786. From his childhood, he gave evidence of his vocation. Since childhood, wow, even one day being found measuring one of the rooms of his house to see how many beds would fit in there to accommodate the sick. Oh yeah, that's me. I am all about grass. Got it from my daddy. After his studies, from which he emerged brilliantly, thanks to the intercession of St. Thomas Aquinas. What's up? Find the... Cheers! Yes! Can you stop distracting me? Okay, just hug me, but don't make me stop. Every time you do this, I cannot focus. He was ordained a priest, and later, in 1818, elected canon of the Corpus Domine, Domini chapter in Turin. Oh, oh, Corpus, Corpus Domine chapter in Turin. In 1827, he began his work by founding the little house of divine providence. Quote, the little house of divine providence, unquote. Bookmark that, where he took in countless sick and abandoned people to care for them. He first created an institution of religious sisters called Daughters of St. Vincent, which we are because my husband's saint is Vincent. And a few years later, another institution called Brothers of St. Vincent the Paul. That could be two over there. One and two. Number one, number two. Captain, engage. Blind trust in Providence. Yeah, let's talk about that. The difficulties in carrying out his design were not small, right? Like we are facing today. Many others endowed with a strong faith, but not blind like his, would have been discouraged halfway through but he continued to find himself without resources and harassed by incomprehensible creditors. Yeah, uh-huh, Bill, 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 and Bill, demanding the payment of debts. On the other hand, he saw the numbers, the number of his protégés who came to the little house grow every day. Attracted not only by the need for health, but above all, by the fame of his boundless goodness. Yeah, that's all you want to be known for. Anyone who knew the incessant, incessant, relentless, incessant activity of this work would believe its founder to be a restless, there it is, and worried man involved in material affairs, eager to watch over and govern everything. 
No judgment could be so false about him. Saint Joseph Benedict was a man essentially contemplative and detached from earthly things. Like Aslan, he's not a tame lion, you know. The predominant characteristic of his holiness and of his mission was his complete trust in divine providence. DP, it could be said that his entire spirituality was summed up in this sentence from the gospel. Matthew 3, 6, 33. Well, ain't that a good number? Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his justice and all these things will be given to you as well. All's well with my soul. That's, I got to find that one. But I don't have daddy's phone right now, so. He often used to say to his family, be, sh- be assured that divine providence never fails. Families and people may fail, but providence will not fail us. This is a matter of faith. Therefore, if at any time something is lacking, it can only be attributed to our lack of trust. It is necessary always to trust in God. And if God responds with his divine providence, his divine providence to ordinary trust, he will provide extraordinarily for those who trust extraordinarily. Eh? Why do you fret yourselves for so little? Such a faith carried to such a heroic degree could only obtain miraculous results. And these were abundant throughout our saint's existence. On one occasion, the nun in charge of the kitchen came to announce to him there's nothing left to flower in the house, man. Tomorrow, there will be no bread to feed the indigent. Why do you worry about so little? You see, how the rain falls in torrents, and it is, it is impossible to send anyone out at this time, he replies. The good sister who had not attained perfectly to that holy abandonment of her founder, went away very unhappy with this reply. A few moments later, St. Cortolengo entered the refectory and imagining himself alone, without, without suspecting that another sister was spying on him through the keyhole, knelt before the image of the Blessed Virgin and prayed fervently with his arms crossed. Only a few moments later, only a few minutes later, and a man driving a cart appeared at the door of the establishment. Without wanting to say where he was coming from or by whom he had been sent, he declared that he had the task of depositing in the, quote, little house, unquote, all the flour that he had brought in his vehicle. Ah! 
the nuns immediately rushed to tell the saintly canon everything. The latter received the news without the least surprise and calmly gave them the order to bake bread. Ah, the money appeared in the pockets. On another occasion, St. Joseph Benedict was faced. Oh, you didn't hear that. Okay, I'll tell you. With another even tighter situation. You think your money is tight. One of his collectors, creditors, sorry, even threatened him with death if he did not pay his debt immediately. Thank goodness we don't have that law anymore. Debtor's prison. He apologized, asked him to be a little more patient, promising to do so as soon as possible. This is what happened to my granny. But the man was adamant and, without further ado, took from his clothes a gun with which he was ready to end the life of the saint. In a mechanical gesture, the saint reached into his pocket and, to his great surprise, found a roll. A roll containing exactly the sum claimed. This is what happens to my husband all the time. That's why I ain't worried. He immediately handed it to the creditor and the latter left, confused by his own violent attitude, but impressed by the miracle and the example of serene trust he had just witnessed. Abandonment to the will of God. Abandonment to the will of God. Abandonment to the will of God. His desire to be good to all who approached him knew no restraint or obstacles. He went to the extreme of lavishing the humblest care on the sick and of entering into the games of mentally weak. Of into the games of the mentally weak. Just like Patch Adams, go watch that. Squirrel! In order to amuse them. <laughs> he did not consider this a humiliation because he analyzed everything with a supernatural outlook. Knowing that the important thing was not to do great deeds or perform stupendous wonders, but to be in God's eyes what he wants us, wants of us, but to be in God's eyes what he wants for, ay, ay. but to be, uh-huh, in God's eyes, uh-huh, to be in God's eyes what he wants of us. What do you want of me? Yeah. I don't know. There you go. I don't know. And what do you want of me? There you go. From this lofty concept of life, which permeated all his actions, came the joyful detachment with which he abandoned himself to God's will, repeating over and over again, why are you anxious about tomorrow? Why? Hmm? Why? Yeah. Why? Why? <laughs> Providence will not think of it, for you have already thought of it. So do not ruin its work and let it do its work. Do not ruin its work and let it do its work. Oh, that old adage. Get out of God's way. Yeah.
although we are permitted to ask for a certain temporal good, nevertheless, any regards. As regards what concerns me, I would be afraid to commit a fault if I asked for something along these lines. Unquote. Joseph Benedict Cotolengo died in 1842. During his stay in this world, the desires of his heart and the life of his soul were directed solely to the glory of God. Desires of his heart and the life of his soul. Your life and your desires. Yep, life, desire. You have life, you have desires. Got it. You desire, do you desire life, do you? For this reason, he left behind him a monumental work of charity towards his neighbor, which today is present on four continents. Wow! As irrefutable proof of the truthfulness of Jesus Christ's promise, he sought only the kingdom of God and his justice. Our Lord granted him everything in addition. Addition! Not division. A place of honor is reserved for him among the righteous lambs on that supreme day when the just judge will say, Come, you blessed of my Father, receive as your inheritance the kingdom which my Father has prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me into your home. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Truly, I say to you, in so far, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. Matthew 24, 34, Matthew 25, sorry, 34 to 36, and verse 40. The following has been by Sister Clara Isabel Morazani, comma, E.P., text was taken from the magazine Heralds of the Gospel. N, number 64, April 2007, compiled by Sandra Chisholm. Thank you for joining us here on Gaudium Press, English edition. Thank you so much for Gustavo Kraj. Thank you. We'll be right back. stirring up a storm over there. I like to come back over here and hide in the wilderness. My secret garden. She looked at the key quite a long while. She turned it over and over and thought about it. 
as I had said before, she's not a child. She was not a child who had been trained to ask permission or consult her elders about things. All she thought about was a key that was as if the key to the closed garden. She could not find where the door was. She could perhaps open it and see what was inside the walls and what had happened to the old rose tree, but it was because it had been shut up so long that she wanted to see it. It seemed as if it might be different from the other places, and that something strange must have happened to it during ten years. Besides that, if if she liked it, she could go in every day and shut the door behind her, and she could make up some play of her own with whoever she found there, perhaps. And today we found so many lovely people to play with. It's almost like the interior. It's bigger than the exterior. I went to so many places this morning from France, thrown all the way to Sambia in, in Arabia. In what time period? I don't know, but it looked amazing. Just amazing. The architecture, the dance, the royalty, the people. Oh. I could be there for 10 days. I think I will. And we'll look awesome every day. <gasps> Don't you love it when, people, when the hosts are so kind and they prepare everything for you, even down to the dress? My cousin attended one of these 10-day weddings once, and ever since then I've wanted to be invited to one at least. Living, as it were, all by my, herself, in a house with a hundred mysteriously closed rooms and having nothing whatsoever to amuse herself. So, that's what it's like on LinkedIn, isn't it? So many doors, some closed, some open. And if you know how to get through it, you might just open a new one every day. There is no doubt that there are fresh, strong, pure air from the more we look into it and had a great deal to do with it, engaging and adding value wherever we go, just as I had given her an appetite and a fighting spirit with the wind that had stirred her blood. So, the same things had stirred. Your mind, perhaps? In India, they had always been too hot and languid, humid, I would say, when I was in Maryland, and weak to care much about anything. But in this place, she was beginning to care. Yes, I felt I had a heart again. I couldn't explain it at the time, but it warms my heart to a pain, and it seemed like I was being stabbed from the inside, but not to the point where it hurt too much, just enough to know I had a heart again. And to want new things. Already she felt less contrary, though she did not know why. I didn't know why. I just felt like my heart was attached to somebody else's. And perhaps if I seeked long enough and sought the help of that which connected us all, the Holy Spirit that we could not see, I could finally reach that heart on the other end tell it what it needed to hear, and so it would be soothed. 
and quiet, establishing a connection and perhaps hearing a response. And the pain would be less and subsided, but the warmth would still glow. And every time they needed to communicate with me, my heart would flare up again. Perhaps it was the same for them. I don't know. Just nice dreams, I guess. Speaking out loud. What they call that? Saying the silent part out loud, perhaps. <clears throat> what was I saying? Mrs. Medlock. Yes, Martha. How are you this morning? Do you have any wonderful stories to delight my day? Your mother. I'm always glad to see her. You have been baking and washing all the way. Yes, I heard about your ride. Thank you for giving wonderful Mary the skipping rope. I'm so glad that she's faring much better these days. Young kids need that. That's what I try to give to my kids. I take them to the gym. I take them to the pool. They have loads of fun. We don't really need any material goods. All the flowers provide entertainment and toys are left scattered around in the gardens by passers-by and admirers. <laughs> yes, even all the birds seem to sing every time we walk by. She was now standing in the secret garden, the strangest house anyone ever lived in. It was the sweetest, most mysterious looking place anyone could imagine. Yes, the high walls which shut it in were covered with leafless stems of climbing roses, which were so thick that they were matted together. You know, when I first got here in Vegas, the first thing I lifted my spirits was the big, beautiful rose bushes right in front. And I've never seen blossoms so big, so numerous, all in one clump. Normally you just see one rose on a stem, but these were like broccoli. They were so, ah, oh, bouquet. How still it is in this garden. Mary Lennox knew they were roses because she had seen a great many roses in India. All the ground was covered with grass of a wintry brown, and out of it grew clumps of bushes that were surely rose bushes if they were alive. There were numbers of standard roses which had so spread their branches that they were like little trees. There were other trees in the garden, and one of the things which made the place look strangest and loveliest was that climbing roses had run all over them and swung down long tendrils which made light swaying curtains, and here and there they had caught at each other, or at a far-reaching branch and had crept from one tree to another and made long, lovely bridges of themselves. Remember our word? Bridges.
There were neither leaves nor roses on them now, and Mary did not know whether they were alive or dead. That's the hardest thing, you know, when you don't know. But their thin grey or brown branches and sprays look like a sort of hazy mantle spreading over everything, walls and trees, and even brown grass, where they had left fallen from their fastenings and run along the ground. It was this hazy tangle from the tree to tree. Which made it look so mysterious, right? That story about how before they start cutting the trees, you could literally go from east coast to west coast without ever having to touch the ground. There were so many trees, which made it all look so mysterious. Mary had thought it must be different from other gardens. Which had not been left all by themselves so long, and indeed, it was different from any other place she had ever seen in her life. I thank you for taking the camera with you. I didn't need to see you in them. I felt like I was walking right next to you. Thank you for taking me back to the forest vicariously. How still it is," she whispered. "How still? How are you still?" Then she waited a moment and listened at the stillness. The robin, who had flown to his tree top, was still as all the rest. He was still. He did not even flutter his wings. He sat without stirring, and looked at Mary. No wonder it is still," she whispered again. "I am the first person who has spoken in here for ten years." She moved away from the door, stepping as softly as if she were afraid of awakening someone. She was glad that there was grass under her feet. Oh, I saw the most beautiful, long, tall grass. They never let me grow my grass. Did you know? County laws made me cut my grass, gave me fines every time they grew more than a foot. She was glad that there was grass under her feet, and that her steps made no sounds. How can wheat ever grow if you keep cutting it? She walked under one of the fairy-like grey arches between the trees, and looked up at the sprays and tendrils which formed them. I wonder if they are all quite dead," she said. "Is it all a quiet, dead garden then? I wish it wasn't so. If." She had been Ben Weatherstaff. 
She could have told whether the wood was alive by looking at it, but she could not only see. But she could only see that there were only gray or brown sprays and branches, and none showed any signs of even a tiny leaf bud. But she was inside the wonderful garden, and she could come through the door, under the ivy, any time, and she felt as if she had found a world, all her own. And LinkedIn. The sun was shining inside the four walls, and the high arc of blue sky over this particular piece of Misselthwaite. Seemed even more brilliant and soft than when it was over the moor. The robin flew down from his tree top and hopped about, or flew after her from one bush to another. He chirped a good deal and had a very busy air, as if he were showing her things. I love it when you show me things. Everything was strange and silent, and she seemed to be hundreds of miles away from anyone. Introspective, but somehow she did not feel lonely at all. You guys are here with me. I know it. All that troubled her was her wish. I just want to know whether all the roses were dead, or if perhaps some of them had lived. It might put out leaves and buds as the wind weather got warmer. It is spring and now summer, and now it's very hot indeed. She did not want it to be a quiet, dead garden. If it were a quiet, alive garden. Oh, how wonderful it would be! And what thousands upon thousands, ten thousands, Monty, Monty, Mon, Monty, of roses would grow on every side. It's a never-ending story, is it? The strangest house anyone ever lived in. The Secret Garden, by Frances Hodgson Burnett. Her skipping rope had hung over her arm when she came in, and after she walked about for a while, she thought she would skip rope around the whole garden, stopping when she wanted to look at things. There seemed to have been grass paths here and there, and in one or two corners there were alcoves of evergreen with stone seats. Isn't that a rock? Or tall moss-covered flower urns in them? Isn't that a cemetery? As she came near the second of those alcoves, she stopped skipping. 
mortuary mausoleum. There had once been a flower bed in it, and she thought she saw something sticking out of the black earth. Some sharp green, pale green points. Oh yes, everybody loves green profile pictures for some reason. I like them. She remembered, especially this purple one that I keep seeing with an A name, with a black shirt, purple bubbles. But it's not exactly purple. I would call it royal purple for some reason. I'll find out why I'm sure one of these days. Oh, and there's this other guy. She remembered when Ben Weatherstaff had seen and. She knelt down to look at them. Yes, they are tiny growing things, and they might be crocuses or snowdrops, or daffodils. She bent very closely to them, and sniffed. Hmm, the fresh scent of the damp earth. She liked it very much. We partied in the new farm today. So happy! I have a new place to go to now. It's a channel. They constantly send up new videos. <sighs> Perhaps there are some other ones coming up in other places. She thought to herself, "I will go all over the garden and look." Can't wait to go visit for real someday. He's by himself. We gotta go help. She did not skip, but walked. She went slowly. Yeah, I've broken my teeth before by not walking properly. I fall on my head. You'll know me when you see me. I have two horns on my head, one on each side. The one on the right side is a lot sharper. I'm feeling it right now. And then the Boy, the other day I let him feel it, and he felt a lot better because he had it on his head too. He did the same thing. Fell when he was a little kid. Oi. Shared experiences makes us. Yeah, I think so. It isn't quite a dead garden, she cried softly to herself. Even if the roses are dead, there are other things alive. She did not know anything about gardening, but the grass seemed so thick in some of the places where the green points were pushing their way through that she thought they did not seem to have room enough to grow. She searched about until she found a rather sharp piece of wood, and knelt down and dug and weeded out the weeds and grass until she made nice little clear places around them. Yeah, I mean I don't have a green thumb, but I have a brown thumb, and we can try. Now they look as if they could breathe again. Yes, this is how we do it. Like Jet Li, our fearless, the uncut version where he gets to breathe. Oh, I should show you guys that one. Yes, yes, fearless, uncut version. After she had finished with the first ones, I am going to do. Ever so many more. I'll do all I can see. If I haven't time today, I can come tomorrow. She went from place to place and dug and weeded, and enjoyed herself so immensely. 
that she had led on from bed to bed and into the grass under the trees. The exercise made her so warm that she first threw her coat off and then her hat, and without knowing it, she was smiling down on the grass and the pale green points all the time. The robin was tremendously busy, and he was very much pleased to see gardening begun in his own estate. He had often wondered at Ben Weatherstaff, where gardening is done all sorts of delightful things, to eat or turn up with the soil. Isn't this the parable? Yes, about the pearl where he was willing to buy the Where gardening is done all sorts of delightful things to eat and turn up in the soil. Now here was this new kind of creature who was not half Ben's size and thought, and yet had had the same sense to come into this garden and begin at once. <gasps> I think I found Ben today. Mistress Mary worked her garden until it was time to go to her midday dinner. In fact, she was rather late in remembering. Oh, well now, what time is it? I don't know, but good afternoon, brothers who are vacationing in Napa Valley. Cheers, <gasps> wine country. Kelly. That's where, is that where I went to the castle and had the wine tasting with full armors? Ah! That was the wedding of my cousin Christine. Where is she? I don't know. Last I heard she was in Hong Kong. In fact, praying for her. She was rather late in remembering because my son that went there and danced his butt off and everybody was so happy about, he doesn't remember. Yeah. And picking up her skipping rope, she could not believe that she had been working two or three hours. She had been actually happy all the time. And dozens and dozens of the tiny pale green points were to be seen in cleared places, looking twice as cheerful as they had looked before when the grass and weeds I've been smothering them. We'll be right back after this break. All right, let's see what you wrote today. For a second, what am I seeing? Am I? Are they hikers? They look like astronauts for a second there. Where are you climbing? That's exactly where I was staring at, and now it's glowing, and we're so close, so close. All right, let's read it. I need some ominous music for this one. 
let's ponder something. Do you ever ponder the true essence of the life you embrace? Yes. Do you ever question the relentless hours you devote, desperately hoping they will yield a harvest of fulfillment? Yes. Reflect upon these aimless rendezvous with friends. Yeah, whoever's listening. Mere spectacles devoid of trials that could cement the bonds you cherish. I don't know who's listening, but I hope so. Contemplate the hours lost in a labyrinth of reruns <laughs> and binge watching. <laughs> I gotta get back to freelancers. A seductive landscape from reality's pressing demands. Yeah. Contemplate the scattered phone calls. I don't answer any of them. An insidious indulgence in viscous gossip that ends no substance, that adds no substance, excuse me, to existence. An insidious indulgence in viscous gossip love your words. I could have never come up with that. But yes. And if they don't leave a voicemail, I don't bother. It's like, right? Like, just leave a voicemail. I'll call you back. But if they don't, then it wasn't worth Right? Anybody on with me on this? Contemplate. I'm sorry. Contemplate. Yes, contemplate. Contemplate. Mm-hmm. The ceaseless pursuit of material possessions. I never do, but yes. A hollow endeavor, yep, that merely cloaks an existential void. Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. It's, I, it feels like, I can't explain it, but if I really let myself, I have, ever since I was little, I can't explain it, but I have this, like, feeling like if if I was in like a meditative mode, you know, not something physical, of course, but it's like this feeling, something of, I can only explain it as something that's infinitely small, and the more I concentrate on making it smaller, it gets infinitely small. The feeling of it, and if I focus on it, it can instantly be starting to grow and become infinitely big. Like I don't, I don't know how to explain it. It's just. This, I have to open my mouth. It's a, it's a mouth thing. I'm sorry. It's, it, lo- it looks really weird if <laughs> it somebody stares at me like, why do you look like you just like have your head cocked all the way back and your mouth open to the sky? And I feel like I'm in this like, like this, I would feel like if it was a visual, you ever seen that visual of like this guy hanging in midair and out of his arms and feet and mouth and eyes, there's just light beaming out of it, like clear bright against the black. You ever see that? With his head just lulled back like he's just restless, like he's just completely at rest and lifted into the middle of the air by some invisible force. But there's beams of light coming out of it. Yeah, like that. Okay, wait. I harbor no certainties, right? Sometimes you just gotta let it explore, yeah no crystal clear revelations. Yeah, everything's kind of misty. 
Yet, within the depths of my being, I am certain of one thing. Yes, I like that. My life shall be a tempestuous odyssey. <gasps> a daring foray into the unknown. Or did he write 80 Days Around the World? I think so. I read that too. Didn't I? I did. What's up, John? As I survey the landscape before me, those aforementioned pursuits ring hollow. the fervor that propels me forward. Mm. Yeah, once you've seen one thing and done it a couple times, you're just like, yeah, I can't, I don't have to go again. Like, I could just go back in my head right now and be on the beach, you know? Is that what you're talking about? Perhaps life is to be lived in a fashion opposite to that which was mentioned. Perhaps. I like that picture. <laughs> On the edge. Oh, yeah. I'm so walking right behind you. I'm kind of in your backpack. <laughs> like, right. Emperor's new groove. What's his name? Kronk. I'd be like, Kronk. <laughs> I'm really skinny. I don't take much. <laughs> I fasted a lot, so I don't weigh much anymore. <laughs> Did everybody see that picture where I'm kind of like a backpack? I can be like a backpack. All right. Shall we read one more, shall we? It's a short one. It's a short one. The one right before that. Anything over the waterfall. I'm so in the middle of that waterfall. Just to let you know. I'm just so delightful. Depression and anxiety. That was five hours ago. Yeah, too much free time. Depression and anxiety. Like mind blown and anxiety too much free time huh yeah depression anxiety that sounds like a roller coaster too much free time what are you gonna do with it well, I don't use my free time depression and anxiety and depression will Idle mind of tools of the devil, you're saying? That, again? that place you call your refuge? My bathroom? Uh-huh. Your home? Uh-huh. Whatever. Good enough. It's a prison. Oh, yeah, I know. Filled with heartless and lifeless relics of a society. Uh-huh. That has thrown down the doors. Thrown the doors of depression and anxiety wide open. In return for comfort and ease. You were supposed to sleep there due to the safety it provided whilst you dreamt. Yeah, I know exactly which part you're talking about in Pilgrim's Progress. I wondered about that for a while. He sat on top of the hill and he fell asleep and lost a scroll. Oh no. Not live your life in it. Yeah, don't fall asleep there. 
keep going. That was like, right? He could have just go outside. Okay. I do it once a day. Usually at night because it's too damn hot in the desert during the day. Who the heck goes out? Right, owls? I'm like an owl. When you live in the desert, yeah. go outside and surround yourself with the beating hearts of the forest. Yeah, I would like to. That's why I'm here with you. Okay. I could hear, I could hear this, I could hear the flowing of the water right now. I really could. From the video you took. Yep. Water, wind, earth. Isn't that a band? Earth, wind, and fire. And the animals. I like the animals. I actually saw a real bear once. I think it was in Tennessee. Was it? Maybe. I don't remember. Went so many places. And the animals that roam these lands. Maybe then you'll feel more alive. Yeah. Trying to get there. Trying to get there. They say September 30th. Whoever said someone. Someone said September 30th. Anybody? Anyway, I'll give it. You need to be more assertive. I hear you saying that in my head all day long, like 17 hours ago till now. What does that mean? It's time to shed the shackles of passivity. But I don't want to offend anybody. And reclaim your inner strength. Yeah, right. It's screaming on the inside. Society has bred us, bred in us a toxic narrative. Yeah. It's like broken record. That equates assertiveness with aggression. Yeah. I kept telling, right, you know, you know what I kept telling her. Just because I'm loud doesn't mean I'm wrong. Or what I'm saying is not true. <sighs> Help me. But I'm here to tell you. Oh good. That it's time to refine that notion. Yes, please. Refiner's fire. We need to rise above the fear of being labeled as domineering and embrace a righteous, righteous aggression that empowers us to take charge of our lives. Help, help. We need to be conditioned. Aren't we already conditioned? Recondition yourself, great, thanks. We have been conditioned to believe mm -hmm, that being meek and submissive, this is what my husband keeps saying all the time, thank you for saying boy is the path of least resistance. He summarizes in one word, Vicar, with a V. V-I-C-A-R. Viscosity, vicarious, vicarious. Okay, great. We've been taught to cower in the face of adversity. Yeah, that's what daddy told me to do. Don't fight back, he, me. he got bullied a lot. So did I, both in different ways. To retreat from conflict and to apologize for having strong opinions. Yeah, he he got up and said, we're not monkeys. And his, chain, his whole life changed from that point. It was like his first day in school. We're not monkeys. And from there on, poof. But let me remind you, uh-huh. We were not born to be shrinking violets. Right, men, hello. I love men who are like not shrinking violets. We were born to be bold, courageous, and unapologetically ourselves. Assertiveness is not a sin. It is a virtue. Mm -hmm. 
It is the flame that ignites our passions, fuels our ambitions, and propels us forward.、Mm-hmm. It is the cornerstone of progress and the catalyst for change. How can we expect to shape the world around us if we remain timid and meek?、Mm-hmm. We must shatter the chains that confine us and embrace the power that lies within.、Mm-hmm. But let us not mistake assertiveness for aggression. True strength is not found. By overpowering others, but in using our voices and actions for the greater good,、mm-hmm. it is about standing up for what is right. Like the movie, defending the voiceless. <laughs> Thank you, and fighting against injustice. It is about championing causes that resonate with our values. And refusing to be silenced by fear or societal expectations.、Hmm. It's time to reclaim our power. It's time to banish the self-doubt that plagues our minds and harness the energy of righteous aggression. Embrace our passions. Pursue our dreams. And make our mark on this world.、Mm-hmm. Let your assertiveness be a beacon of inspiration, like a lighthouse for those around you, like a candle on a lampstand, empowering them to do the same, like lightning bolt. On Harry Potter. Remember, we are not here to conform, but to transform. <gasps> Let your voice be heard, your ideas be acknowledged, and your presence be felt. I'm hugging you right now, just let you know, or sitting next to you with my head rested on your shoulders. Yeah, okay. Break free from the chains of passivity. And let the fire within you burn brightly. Be the role models our future generations need. Demonstrating that true strength lies in the courage to stand tall, the resilience to face adversity head-on, <laughs> and the unwavering commitment to make a difference. <laughs> let us rise. Above the shadows of fear and uncertainty, unleash your assertiveness. Wield your righteous aggression and claim your power. Like a tai chi sword. Together,、mm-hmm. we can redefine masculinity and create a world where strength is synonymous with compassion. Where assertiveness is intertwined with sympathy, and where each of us can flourish as the best versions of ourselves.
The time for cowering is over. It's time to stand tall. I love that picture of you. I'm just gonna keep staring at. Okay, thanks. Bye. See y'all later. Good 
with thee. Dor- 
Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Oh! 